0: I now hand over to our preacher this morning, who is the Honourable Rod
1: Robson. Oh, Phil, don't ever change. (coughs) Thank you for that warm introduction. Uh, The parable of the lost sheep is a well-known story that has comforted generations of believers and it's not hard to see why. Now I'm going to read it to you in a minute but you need to pause me now, grab a Bible and turn to Matthew 18 so that you can read along with me. This is reading from verse 1. At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child whom he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. The question I see here. And this verse, in this text, is who matters? And the disciples' answer, I think, was me, I matter. So much more than that guy. I should get the big job at the corner office, not him. But Jesus' comeback is the humble matter. The meek, to use the word that he uses in the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. The children and the childlike, they matter. Now it went on, and this is verse 4. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of stumbling blocks. Occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to the one by whom the stumbling block comes. So Jesus says, well, mess with the meek and the humble, and you're messing with me. Not, not a good idea. And he goes on. If your hand or your foot cause you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. Throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the hell of fire. You matter too. So much that you should do away with whatever in your life might cause you to go astray. Then he circles back around to the meek again. Take care that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you, in heaven their angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that has wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over it it more than over the other ninety-nine who were never lost. So it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. Who matters? Well, these little ones who go astray by subtle indifference or deliberate choice get lost and find themselves a long way from God. They matter too. Jesus goes on. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. Phil see me after. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church or the gathering. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector." Truly I, t- truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The person next to you in the pew, today a virtual pew, they matter too, especially if you find them tricky. Well, today I'm going to drill down into the very brief but very memorable story of the lost sheep. And to refresh it, it goes like this. If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. Now, Jesus' original audience hearing this story would have twigged immediately that the shepherd was God acting by his spirit, and the sheep were his people Israel. Ezekiel 34 famously uses this imagery, and it's all the way through the Old Testament. Uh, For example, memorably in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and all that. Farming back then though was quite different from farming that we know in New Zealand, or should I say New Zealand. They had no fences. And I don't think they had sheepdogs either. So a flock of 100 sheep might have two or three shepherds looking after it. And they would graze up on the pasture land in the hills. And there was this line of hills that ran through the middle, the sort of spine of the country, and it was very steep country. It's a narrow strip of land. There's ravines, there's gullies all around, and a sheep might fall into a stream or a gully, drown, fall and break a leg, or just be stranded and get stuck in some rocks or in some briar. Alternatively, a wolf pack might get it, and that would be that for Flossie. The flock probably belonged to multiple owners, possibly to the whole village. If a sheep went missing, its carcass needed to be returned, or at least some evidence of its death produced, because someone was going to take quite a loss. And shepherds in those days were seen as pretty dodgy characters, so the suspicion would be that they'd met one of their mates along the way and they'd either given it away or they'd sold it. This also meant that It was a bit of a surprise to everyone who read the original Christmas story that the shepherds were invited to the angelic concert at Jesus' birth. It was a sign of God's favouritism or preference, as it's sometimes described, for the poor, which is all through the Old Testament and the New. Well, one thing that has not changed about sheep farming in 2,000 years is the nature of sheep. They are not the great intellectuals of the animal kingdom. If attacked, they have limited options. They don't have claws or sharp teeth to defend themselves. They're quite slow, so they can't outrun trouble like, say, a deer could. They're clumsy. If they fall over, they may not be able to get back on their feet again easily. They don't really know where they are, so if a dog gets lost, it could usually find its way home. Not a sheep. They really need their shepherd. They are utterly vulnerable. According to Mr. Google, my good mate, and helpful aid to writing sermons, sheep are the most commonly referred to animal in the Bible. We who follow Jesus most resemble sheep in our relationship with him which I do not think is a compliment to us. We truly need him to lead us through the life that he would have us live. People used to say to me, you Christians, it's all just a crutch, and I used to resent it quite bitterly and argue, but now I'd say, yeah, you got me. Guilty. The great thing about this parable, though, is that for Jesus, the sure possession of the 99 does not compensate him for the lost sheep, the one that's got away. We matter to him, even if we have wandered away from his presence and his protection. We may be living utterly dissolute lives, mired in drugs or crime or greed or whatever rabbit hole we have ended up in. And there are lots. Or we might simply have gone to sleep at the wheel of our faith, veered off the road into a desert somewhere, and we're in the middle of nowhere, looking around. We worship a God who will seek us out. A God who will come looking for us without us necessarily giving him a second thought. God's love for you and I precedes our repentance. It comes before our turning to him. And when we do respond and turn back and reorientate our lives in the light of his presence, according to verse 13, how does he react? Well, in my version it says he's tickled pink. Or in more modern versions, he's chuffed. Now this is the polar opposite of the attitude of the Pharisee. Which says that if you associate with sinners and other bad people, well, you probably like them. You're one of them. You know the old story, you're known by the company that you keep, or birds of a feather flock together. Especially if you have table fellowship with them and eat with them. Which if you recall from the gospel stories was the common critique of Jesus by the religious authorities of his day. He kept scandalous company, which a good rabbi would do well to avoid. A good rabbi would be far more careful of his reputation than Jesus was. To them, if you were intimate with a tax collector, say, who was regarded as a traitor, or a prostitute, or an innkeeper, it was like you were implicitly saying that their sin doesn't matter now in fairness to them a pharisee would counsel and work with someone who had been a real sinner and had come back from that but the outcast had to come to the pharisee on their terms the pharisee would not go after the sinner muhammad had to come to the mountain the mountain was not moving And I guess that willingness to come to the Pharisee on these terms was seen as proof of your humility, of your repentance. But our Rabbi Rabbi Jesus is not like that. In Luke 19.10 it says, he came to seek and save the lost. And the emphasis in that phrase that would have dazzled the original audience who heard it was that word seek here was a God who came after us like the shepherd who went after the lost sheep now the parable of the prodigal son from Luke 15 is similar now if you don't know it I want you to pause now flick over to Luke 15 and have a read of it then come back but remember the scene at the end the father sees his prodigal son in the distance trudging towards him. The same son who had dishonoured him by asking for his original inheritance, who had taken it, who had run off to the Las Vegas of his day and spent it on wild women and parties and goodness knows what. He's coming back to see if he can work for his father as a hired hand. He's half starved And what does the father do? Well, he runs towards him. He kisses him, he embraces him, he puts his cloak around his shoulders, and he says, kill the fatted calf, we're going to have a feast. This story would have been particularly shocking for a Pharisee, whose God would wait to see if the prodigal son proved his repentance, and then might hire him. He probably wouldn't be restored as a son, the older son in the story, or the older brother, he's the Pharisee. And those of us who have been Christians for a while should take careful note of the older brother's perspective because we can be often be like that. The love of God for us is expressed in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died to lead us to the Father. That's Romans 5.8. Our repentance, our following Him comes as a response to His love, which comes first. Now, I'm now um, in my early uh, no mid fifties, goodness, and I can see that God was well at work in my life before I finally confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior in my late teens. There was the Catholic nun Sister Camelia who scooped up my mum shortly after my dad died and would visit periodically all the way through my childhood to encourage mum and always bought me a present the catholic family friends who made room for me in their fishing holidays included me in their lives stuff that i wouldn't have otherwise have got to do there were the guys at school that i hung out at university who became christians and really impressed me with the strength of their brand new convictions And early in my faith when I went through rough times, it was always like there was someone there to intercept me. There was some sort of little divinely inspired coincidence to help me through. I suggest if you reflect on your life, you too will have those stories. We live a life with God a couple of steps ahead, waiting for us preparing the way. That process started before faith, and I believe will continue my whole life, no matter what. Yours too. Likewise, we are not called by God to be this little holy huddle who gather together, who gather together to keep each other warm in a cold world. We are to reach out to those who need a place to be, to heal and to find the Lord too. It used to be said that the God of church, of the church, has a mission in the world to seek and save the lost. I think a better way to put this is that the God of mission has a church in the world to seek and save the lost. We are here for a purpose greater than ourselves and meeting our needs. We are God's junior partner partners in his mission. I think we need to make people feel comfortable, welcome, even if they don't make us comfortable. There was this guy who showed up here about a year ago, missing quite a few teeth and wearing a pink panther onesie. It was quite a sight. His girlfriend was with him and her brother, who I think was probably stoned because he was having a hard time staying upright. He and I chatted been in prison and it turned out his relationship with his girlfriend was a combination of boyfriend and pimp. While in prison he had encountered God or at least God's people. Now I don't know if he was stringing me a or not but he was definitely a lost sheep and the least I could do was to welcome him and to spend some time with him. All I did was Listen. I haven't seen him since, but I know that God is still seeking him as he seeks all his lost sheep. We are the shepherd's junior partners, sheepdogs, if you like, in his mission to save a people to himself. In our church, in your workplace, in ARA, your friendship groups, There are many, many lost sheep. Jesus, the shepherd, is looking for them. And you, the sheepdog, may be able to help. Be praying. Gently offer to pray for them if they are obviously in pain. Be sensitive to people who need to talk and listen well. And if the opportunity arises... Be ready to give a gentle explanation for why you follow the Lord. He doesn't need you to argue for him, just to point towards him. That's what good sheepdogs do. They point the flock towards the shepherd. Thank you. Anthony's now going to come and sing for us.
0: Wherever you are, um, please stand and let's take this time to praise the Lord as our good, good Father. You are perfect in all of your ways to us, to us.
1: Thank you, Anthony. I'm going to close our service with a benediction. Until we meet again, May the kindness of God precede you. May the wisdom of God be with you. And may the light of God follow you. Keep safe. We'll see you soon.